life. You know, if I'm just playing, thank you for that. I'm just playing a song on my iPhone and it's picked up. Is this a copyright violation or are we okay? We can always say copyright infringement not intended. Is that what the answer is? Yes, I think that's what the answer is. We may have to get these uh, smoking gun girls in Nashville to record this for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome. Martinis with Scott. I think we are episode three. Is that right, Ashley? That is right. <clears throat> Cheers, everybody. I think we're drinking uh, Tito's today because I am by myself, so we're not doing anything fancy. Um, we have spent the last couple of weeks um, working on the platform expansion. Um, I think if Ashley were listening to me, she would tell me that we are on Apple something now we have our podcast we on are apple on itunes we yeah, are itunes where else are we we're going to be on spotify very soon as well as google play excellent so that's been a lot of work getting all of this set up and uh yeah it's been great we're excited about it so as usual brought to you by sinclair range you need any help with your business right from uh, mid-market businesses to smaller entrepreneurial businesses um, anything at all check us out at uh, SinclairRange.com and you'll see what we provide for services or just reach out by email or phone and and uh, and we're probably able probably able to help you out so as I said it's just me today because we're going to try something a little bit different and see how it goes um, and that is maybe doing a deeper dive um, and and having me just express myself and think out loud about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is Keystone Keystone Habits. Um, and I'm gonna be writing a blog post on our website probably within the next week uh, about Keystone Habits. There's my, my cheat notes on it uh, right now. <coughs> and, and, everything okay over there? Our producer's dropping martini stuff uh, as we go along here. By the way, I should have mentioned before we get too far into this that we're sitting today in Toronto uh, in the Bay Street office of Sinclair Range and we are directly across from Scotiabank Arena uh, on Bay Street, uh, which just lets me, uh, gives me an opportunity to say, uh, go Leafs go. Uh, Maple Leafs play their first uh, playoff game tonight um, as they head into the, the annual ritual, ritual of being slaughtered by the Boston Bruins. <clears throat> but I'm hopeful. Keystone Habits, um, as a management tool to turn around your business, to create rapid and uh, long-lasting change within an organization, and as we describe it, uh, sticky change when we're talking with clients. You know, how do we implement change quickly um, in a turnaround situation, and how do we make that change sticky and, and long-lasting? So, in my career, I've seen and been introduced to a number of companies and organizations um, and been asked to come in and help where I see some commonality. Uh, so you have, for example, uh, a, a small business that has grown into a mid-market business. Let's define that by say 150, 200 employees, somewhere in that range. And uh, because of the nature of the industry or whatever's going on, 
the company, the company's managerial needs have changed from uh, one or two or a small team of individuals that are autocratic, uh, working with their you know, handful of employees, making sure they know what they're doing day to day, um, making sure everything's going the way they think they were, it should be going and pulling in the same direction. The company's size has moved from that to a size where a CEO is unable to, uh, practically speaking, on a day-to-day -day basis, know what their employee is up to and make sure that they're doing their job in a, in a fashion that uh, the CEO might think that the, the employees ought to be doing their job. So you have to, the company needs to transition into building uh, management systems um, that are all pulling in the same direction. And some companies, a lot of companies, struggle with this transition. So, for example, um, we have worked with a, a company about that size that was a international uh, manufacturer um, of high-end products <coughs> that it, uh, a significant worldwide brand. Um, so production was done in Asia. Um, it was distributed all over the world and marketed all over the world and therefore had offices in you know, 25 countries or uh, some or, or footprint in, in roughly that many countries. Um, and when we were introduced uh, every day, there would be a management meeting that would drag on for hours. And if you think about it, all of these key people are in different time zones. So it was over Skype. Some people would be up at midnight. Some people would have it in the middle of the day. Um, there would be a, uh, a video, it was a video Skype. So, you know, you have a bunch of faces on the screen. Um, you, you had to invest in infrastructure to do that. And you would go through a log. Uh, one by one of uh, basically a to-do list of all the troubles at this company and who's doing what and who's not doing what and time frames and one person would control this uh, this this spreadsheet ultimately um, anyway you would have this basically every day I mean the key people in this company were tied up probably half of their lives in management meetings um, focusing on what needs to be done as opposed to actually doing things and, uh, we're working with another company um, uh, in the last year, which is in manufacturing. It doesn't have the multiple jurisdictions, but a similar size, maybe a larger employee base, and, and similar issues. Our first meeting there was uh, uh, was a review, a managerial review of a, a spreadsheet that had you know maybe 800 uh, line items on it, all of which were to-do lists. Um, or to do items and they have a executive uh, allocated to each item and, and a scheduling of when things should be done and there's color coding and, and uh, I'm not trying to pick on any particular company but this is a pattern. We see this over and over and over again. And so, you know, you've got CEOs who are sophisticated and good people and they see that obvious things to turn around a business just aren't getting done. So what do you do about that? Well, you get frustrated so you call a management meeting, you bring your key people in, you start saying, you ought to be doing this, and you ought to be doing that, and you ought to be doing this. And then someone says, well, we'll make a list of these things and we'll make sure they get done. So you end up with a spreadsheet. Then you end up with two new items, and then it gets longer. And then when you leave your meeting for the day, nobody does any of those things because they're busy. They have their own routines, they have their own habits, they have their own processes, they have a full-time job already. And what you're doing is adding a, a to-do uh, on top of on top of what they're already doing and you can stress it and you can prioritize it 
but the fact is these things aren't getting done. So you create this spreadsheet, you have extremely long management meetings, which takes away from uh, people's time to execute their job. You are focusing on negatives. You're not focusing on team building. You're not focusing on culture. You're not focusing on success. You're not focusing on winning. What you're focusing on is all the stuff that didn't get done in the last week or in the last day or in the last month and why that's causing problems and why didn't you get it done. And then what happens is you become increasingly frustrated and so you start firing people. And so another symptom of this is you get significant turnover in key positions of executives and everybody feels like they're doing their best, they're working hard, which they are. Um, but change is not being effective and you bring the new person in, there's a six month lead time to get people up to speed, you get into the same system and nobody is able to perform. But the CEO, you know, was frustrated by this, but, but nobody sits back and says, well, maybe, maybe it's us, maybe it's the system we have. Um, you know, if we've put three or four executives into this role over the last two, three years and no one was able to perform, maybe the answer is nobody can perform. Maybe we need to change something along the way. So <clears throat> the bottom line is nobody's doing the tasks that's created by this because they are, they're focused on their day-to-day -day and they have their own routines. Um, <clears throat> so let me give you an example of this and I'm just going to pick a real life example from within the last year. Oh, that's good. Hope you're enjoying a drink while you're listening to this. Uh, example within the last year and it's just a, a stupid little example that um, everybody should pick up on immediately. So you're working in a manufacturing plant and you have your direct materials raw materials shipped into your shipping receiving department and they show up by truck and they're unloaded and they're stacked on the floor and your receiving team does not enter those direct materials into your uh, accounting system into your uh, well into your into your into your system right away so it sits there and then your production guys have been waiting for these direct materials for a week or three weeks because you're troubled company and you've got financial constraints so you don't have a bunch of raw material inventory on hand and they've been waiting for this uh, material to go and and produce and ship to and fulfill a customer order so the production guys go over and they, they grab the or the production team goes over and they grab these uh, materials that have not been received into the system yet and they consume the materials and they ship it out as finished goods and you know that that transaction gets entered in the accounting system so what's the result? The result is either permanently or with a significant timing, you have inventory variances because the goods were not received uh, into the system. So you don't have the cost, but you have the revenue. <clears throat> you have um, an underreporting of direct materials and you have an overreporting of profitability on that specific job. And again, the, over, the profitability issue may be a, a timing issue because maybe the receiving catches up but more likely that inventory variance is booked to some other line item outside that job uh, because no one can go back. This wasn't a one-time thing. This happened a hundred times today. And so no one can go back and figure out where the specific variances were and allocate them to whatever job. So you just have a line item that says, you know, inventory variances uh, and they're massive um, and they hit, they kill your profitability, but on a job by job basis, you look great, right? So there's the consequence, super simple thing. So your CEO, 
as a CEO, you can go to, or CFO, you can go to your receiving guys and you say, hey, this isn't brain surgery. The stuff comes in, you quarantine it, production can't take it until, until uh, it's been received and I release it from quarantine. Simple as that, go do it. And the fellow says, okay. So there's an effective way for um, most small businesses to handle that particular situation. But what happens if you have a list of 800 of those items, if the same materials handling and receiving people are involved in you know, 40 out of those 800, and they have, they're so busy during the day anyways, and you as a CEO, as a CFO, you can't walk around on 800 items and direct people to do what I just said. It's a really easy solution, but you don't have the managerial time or capacity to enforce that throughout the organization. So what do you do? You focus on changing the culture in changing communication uh, between everybody in this specific asshole between receiving and production and making sure they have clear goals and you, you try to create an environment where they are empowered and they change their own habits. A habit here being, I don't, my receiving department is in the habit of not logging things right away or segregating received goods from not received goods. My production team is in the habit of just going grabbing whatever they want without communication uh, with the receivers. And so you create an environment so that the organization changes those habits uh, on its own. And the result is you get rapid change and it's sticky change. It's change that lasts a long time, even beyond your, beyond your tenure as CEO. <clears throat> so let's talk about some more specifics on how we do that. And I'm gonna introduce a book to you uh, called The Power of Habit. If you're on the Periscope, uh, hopefully you can see that book uh, and if you're listening on a podcast, it's The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business by Charles, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I'm gonna go, it's a D-U-H-I-G-G, D-U-H-I-G-G. This is on my personal top 10 or top five or top three most important business books ever. Um, I love it, it's a great Bible, it's uh, great for, for organizational change, but also great for marketing, it's great for personal habits and just understanding uh, what habits are and the reason I'm introducing and suggesting you go buy this book is because I'm going to steal a story or two from the book and so I think it's only fair to this author that uh, that be recognized and me give a hard push uh, to anybody who's interested in this topic to to pick up that book themselves and read it. One of the stories from this book is uh, uh, in reference to Paul O'Neill uh, who later became Secretary O'Neill. I think he was Secretary of the Treasury under Bush. Um, and his turnaround of Alcoa. And in 1987, a long time ago, uh, Paul O'Neill was introduced as CEO of Alcoa, which was a, at the time, a, a really massive industrial concern um, that was in dire financial uh, and operational uh, straits. Um, <clears throat> He was introduced in 1987, and in uh, 2000, uh, he retired after creating $27 billion of market cap and record profitability um, at Alcoa. A couple of quotes from the book, he had focused on keystone habits, in fact, in fact one keystone habit um, to make this change. And when he was introduced to, uh, right off the bat, when he was introduced as CEO, uh, he had an analyst uh, meeting, a Wall Street meeting. Um, he said, 
and I wrote down a quote here, I intend to make Alcoa the safest company in America. I intend to go for zero injuries. That was his stated mandate, his stated goal as the new CEO of an industrial concern that was losing money, that everybody agreed was old and too big and needed a, an operational and financial turnaround. And they all thought he was crazy. They all thought he wasn't talking about the things that they wanted to hear. He didn't talk about right sizing. He didn't talk about cost reduction. He didn't talk about uh, synergies. He didn't talk about selling the dogs um, and buying more of the stars. Um, he didn't talk about qualities or efficiencies or any of the other buzz terms that CEOs might use uh, back in 1987 or in fact today. He said, if we bring our injury rates down, it won't be because of cheerleading or some other nonsense that CEOs uh, might, might say to you. He says, because the individuals at the company have agreed to become, become part of something, to focus on a common goal, to devote themselves to a habit of excellence. And that's really the key here. The, the, the picking of this one habit, which we'll get more into, is not necessarily about the habit itself, although that's a great thing to focus on, safety in this instance. Um, it's about changing culture. It's about creating a habit of excellence throughout the organization. He was later interviewed, and in the book it says, you know, you can't order people to change. That's not how the brain works. So we thought if I start disrupting habits around one thing, maybe that will spread throughout the organization and change the organizational habits throughout. Um, you can't expect and you can't mandate people to be more profitable, to be more efficient, to produce more. He said the last CEO at Ecola had done that, um, mandated this change, and, and it resulted in being ineffective, and 15,000 people went on strike. <clears throat> so to understand how this works, you have to understand habits. And to understand habits, you have to understand the habit loop. And the loop, you know, I, I should have had maybe had a diagram for you on the Periscope, but on the podcast that obviously wouldn't work. Uh, habit loop is cue, uh, routine, and reward. So let's think about uh, fast food. Uh, picture yourself driving home, or maybe I should have focused on martinis. There's a good habit. Picture yourself driving home after work, you've picked up the kids, you're tired, and you're hungry. Um, that's the cue, right? That's the feeling that needs to be fixed. Your routine is, you think to yourself, just this one time because I'm too tired to cook a nutritious dinner, just this one time, I'm gonna stop at McDonald's and we're gonna have some fries and some burgers and some, some soda. And, um, and so that's what you do. That's your routine. So you got the cue, you've got the routine, and what's the reward? Well, the reward is the food tastes pretty good. You know, lots of salt, sugars, fats. It made you feel a little better for a little while and it was cheap. Um, so that's a pretty good reward, right? So you've completed that cycle. You've got, you've got the cue, you've got the, the routine, and you've got the reward, all right? So now, that worked once. Now next month, you're driving home and you have the same cue, and you think to yourself, I remember about a month ago, I went to McDonald's and that worked out pretty well. So you do it again, and then you keep doing it, and eventually, you create it, it turns into a habit. It becomes more frequent, and it's ingrained in your brain, and what happens is it creates, it creates a craving. Um, so you, you pick up the kids and you think, wow, 
I'm really craving McDonald's. That's weird. I don't usually crave McDonald's, but now you actually have a craving. And so you follow the, the loop. You follow, you, you pick up, you pick up the kids, you're tired, you're hungry, they're cute, you go to your routine, you go eat at McDonald's, and you go home. Before you know it, it's a regular thing. So there's lots of uh, proper studies that show that no one, no one makes a conscious decision to live on fast food. Yet look at the industry. And it's all habit based. And over time, it's these loops that create these habits. And when a loop is created, the brain stops fully participating in that specific decision. And why does it do that? It's because if we had to think about every little piece of minutia in our day, we would, our brains would be overwhelmed. So this is a perfectly natural thing for us to create these habits as a shortcut so we don't have to think about every decision that we have throughout the day. That's what a habit is. Individuals have habits, organizations have routines, which are the exact same thing. So we talk about this with clients. You say, okay, picture yourself and your family and you wake up in the morning and you have a spouse, you've got two kids, so your family of four, uh, both spouses have to get to work, uh, the kids have to, to get to school, and so you wake up at a certain time, more or less the same time every day, maybe somebody set an alarm, or you just wake up uh, naturally, uh, the two spouses probably have to have a shower, so there's a routine for that. The kids have to be dressed, they have to have breakfast, someone makes the coffee. And somehow it all works out that by 8.30 you're all out the door and the kids are dropped off at school and then everybody goes to work for the day. There was a lot that happened in this family to make that happen, right? But no one sat down and wrote a manual. There was no discussion of processes, there was no discussion of procedures and you make the coffee and I don't do and I'll do this I'll make the kids cereal nobody thinks about that nobody discusses it but it happens and if one day the coffee isn't made you sure notice it but you didn't have it as an expectation but you notice if it didn't happen those are routines those are habits that's that habits that's an organization um, uh, in this case a family unit that had a common goal of waking up and getting out the door and and created its own, its own routines to get that done. Well, every business is the same. And here's the key thing that you need to remember is that um, organizations have routines 100% of the time. They have, have, just like an individual has to have a habit or their brain isn't gonna function, organizations have routines. The only question is, are the routines doing what you want them to do? Did you design them? Did you create these policies? Uh, because if you didn't, then they happened organically, and they may or may not be based on the same goals that you're trying to, uh, that you need to be profitable and to turn this business around. So <clears throat> that's what a routine is in an organization, and that's how a habit loop uh, works, um, whether that be within an organization or an individual. What is a keystone habit? A keystone habit is a habit that changes, that when you change it, it ripples throughout the entire organization and causes a bunch of other habits to change at the same time, right? So at, in Paul O'Neill, in Alcoa's story, is he picked uh, safety, employee safety, and his view was that um, to, to make change, um, <clears throat> what's going on, Ashley? We... Sorry about you whispering to me. Well, Bill was just coming through with that. You look 
You look good, she was saying. Someone said I look good? You do look good, yes. All right. Is it the hair or is it the suit? You know what, they didn't generalize. They just said you were, look, you were looking Ask good. Ask her for specifics. I need that sort of reinforcement right now. <clears throat> Olga, so, specifics please. <laughs> so in, um, in Paul O'Neill's case, he picked on employee safety. He picked it because it was non-contentious. No union could complain about employee safety. No employee could complain about employee safety as a goal. Uh, management can't, executives can't. So this is something that's universal that everybody could focus on and agree that this was a worthwhile goal. And, and it was something that to accomplish required changing the entire culture of Alcoa. It required changing the way they process everything. Um, and therefore spreads throughout the organization. That's a keystone habit. And picking, making sure your habit is keystone that you're focusing on, focusing on is an art. You know, it's trial and error, it's hard to get it right, but if you get it right, man, is it powerful. And it happens really quick. So, you have your, you have your, um, your keystone habit. Let's go through this in the Alcoa example, actually. So what's the next thing you do? You identify a cue. So in the Alcoa example, in Q was employee injury. Now let's think about that. That is so simple, um, so black and white. That's, that's the important part about this. Um, it's everybody can understand it. You either had employee injury or you didn't. There's really no judgment call involved in that. The routine, within 24 hours, so you mandate the routine. So you have, a, you have the Q, which, you know, what we're discussing with our clients, we call that a trigger. What was the triggering event? Okay, employee injury. Uh, what's the routine? So what happens when you have a trigger? This is the CEO saying this is what has to happen. And in the Alcoa case, what had to happen was that within 24 hours, the unit president had to report a plan to the CEO to make sure that the injury never happened again. A written plan, 24 hours to ensure that this never happened again. That was the routine, not optional. That's the most important thing that this that this division president had to go. And you know, and division had to do it. Division presidents are busy. They got other stuff going on in their lives. So to be able to do that, they had to go to their plant staff, they had to go to their line people, they had to go right down the employees and create a, a system. They had to rewrite all habits to be able to deliver on that pretty clear and simple routine. And then the critical part to that is the reward. And the reward has to be, again, black and white, and maybe even Jacronian. And in the, in the um, Alcoa example, the reward was that the only people that get promoted are the ones that embrace the system, period. It drives your HR, um, your HR function. <clears throat> so, doing that, uh, there's employee industries, uh, injury is the trigger, is the cue. The routine is 24 hours, you provide the solution to make sure it never happens again. The reward is that you're not promoted if you're not doing this, or you are promoted if you are doing this. Um, and as I said, that requires everybody in the organization to act differently, or those very simple things are not gonna happen. So how can you implement that in your organization? Well, it's the exact same thing. Pick a habit, pick a keystone habit. Maybe pick two, maybe pick three. Don't pick too many, keep it simple. We're working with a manufacturing processing company, and we picked as a as a keystone habit. We picked um, no downtime. We will produce today what we scheduled to produce, what we were scheduled to produce today. Simple as that. It's black and white. 
there is no argument. There's no, well, I got 98%, I got 102%, um, you know, whatever the number is, I had a, the power went out, it's not my fault. None of that. It's just either we did it or we didn't. It's a, as I said, it's a, it's a, it's a binary choice. Um, so that's the, that's the cue, that's the trigger. Did we do it or didn't we? What's the routine? The routine is the same as the Alcoa example, is that it is from our plant management, it's driven up to the, the CEO and the CEO, and in this case, as an advisor to me, um, uh, the, there's a, within a certain period of time, a very short period of time, there's a written solution uh, proposed to make sure that this, this cause of this downtime never happens again. And then there's a reward. Uh, and and the, the routine includes who's gonna execute on that and when. And then there's a reward. And the reward is we have to, you know, we've had to redo our entire HR system to um, really weight um, uh, compensation and promotion um, and evaluation is the word I'm looking for. Uh, to those employees that embrace this, and it's hard. It's hard change for everybody, and it requires it requires a lot of executive uh, commitment. Because when the solution is brought forward, you have to make sure that you follow through on it, and you have to prioritize. Because you know, as a CEO or CEO, you have your own list of things that you want to change, but you have to buy into. Um, and maintain this system. You have to not distract everybody throughout the organization with other stuff that you want changed. Because remember, this is not about the result right away. This is not about changing how things are received. It's about changing the culture and the habits and how people work together. And you need to keep your eye on that prize. And if you do, the payoff is rapid, sticky change in a happy, empowering work environment. Here's the book again, read it. The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do, in Life and Business, Charles Somebody, D-U-H-I-G-G. Uh, if you're on the podcast, it's a yellow book with uh, red highlights. Highly recommended. Charles, sorry for stealing your stories, but I think they're outstanding. That's it. Sign off.